If you have Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts. Actually, we're going to be in a couple places. We're going to get to Acts chapter 8 here in just a minute. But we're going to take the scenic route through Luke 24. All right? So if you want to find Acts chapter 8, hold your finger there. And then flip over to Luke 24. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair around you. Um, there's a table of contents in that. They help you find your spot. Acts chapter 8, then Luke chapter 24. If you're here and you don't own a Bible or have access to one, we would love to put that in your hands. And so whenever we leave here uh, in a few moments, 30-ish, 40-ish minutes, uh, you can stop at the info desk and we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Um, But anyways, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'm allowed to have a favorite account of the resurrection, but mine is Luke, Luke chapter 24. And so let me read how Luke recounts this event that we're celebrating this morning. Chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? I love that. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Right? It's, it's like... This is a tomb. You guys are here at a tomb. A tomb is for dead people. But the one you're looking for, as we would say in Kentucky, he ain't dead no more. Right? And then, I just love that. And they go on, and and, and Luke connects the dots here uh, through the the announcement of these angels. Going on to verse 6, he says, He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So these women tell, they, they go back and they find the, uh, the eleven remaining disciples and they tell them, hey, we went to the tomb, the tomb was empty. Jesus' body is not there. Right? And, uh, they didn't all necessarily believe right away. Okay? They didn't all necessarily believe right in that moment. But, but eventually, the resurrected Jesus would show up to them. Right? They're in a, in a room hiding. And Jesus shows up without knocking on the door. Like he's just there. Right? And they believe. Right? And, and they re- it removes all doubt. And these disciples go and they change the course of history based on the events that happened on the first Easter Sunday. Right? The, the entire world was turned upside down because of that. In fact, I think some of the most compelling evidence for the, resur- like the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the change we see in these disciples. Right? On, on Friday, they, they abandon Jesus as he's being arrested, crucified. They, they abandon him. They leave They go into hiding. They spend Saturday in hiding. We don't know much about Saturday in the scriptures, but we know that on Sunday morning, when they go to announce that Jesus is risen, they find the disciples hiding in fear that they might be found out, they might be associated with this Jesus. 
Right? But because the tomb was empty, it changes these disciples, changes their lives. And they go from, from living in fear and hiding of being found out and fear of being associated with this Jesus to all of a sudden, just a few days later, preaching, proclaiming the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ without any fear of what might happen to them. And, and listen, it happened to them. Like some stuff went down. In fact, if you, uh, history, history tells us they were, well, not even, I mean, we read the Bible, but also uh, historical accounts outside of the Bible. They were mocked, they were beaten, they were arrested, they were imprisoned, they suffered greatly because they refused to shut up about this news that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was alive. In fact, the, the, uh, all of the disciples, except one, we'll get to him in a minute, they, they gave their lives. History tells us that they gave their lives for this message. We're all martyred, we're all killed because they believed that the resurrection was true, that it actually happened. The only one whose life was spared was the Apostle John. Right? And it wasn't for lack of effort. Right? History tells us that John was, uh, by his accusers, was boiled in a vat of oil and somehow survived. And then they abandoned him on the island of Patmos where he received and wrote the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not a letter to make you afraid of what's going to happen. It's actually a letter meant, given to the church so that we might endure and persevere and look forward to what's ahead, come what may. Right? And John does that because he believes that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. The tomb was empty. Right? All of that happened. The disciples gave that went from hiding in fear to giving their lives for this message because the same Jesus that they saw crucified, dead, buried on Friday, got up on Sunday and walked out of the tomb. Changed the course of history forever. Right? The reason that we're here 2,000 years later talking about it on the other side of the world is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ demands a response. Like you've got to do something with it. And these Disciples, they, they did something with it. All right, let me show you quickly in Acts chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it really quickly, though. Uh, this is after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, uh, before he ascends back to heaven to be with the Father. He, he gives these disciples. Right, he gives them this mission. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, so Jesus gives these men, these disciples, he gives them a mission right, to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. And just so we're clear, like, it's not a suggestion. Right? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Right? And, and they respond in, in obedience because when this man that you walked with, you saw his life, his ministry, you saw him murdered, and then you saw him come back to life, you're like, you know what? I should listen to what this guy says. Right? He's, he's got some clout. He's got some power. And they respond in, in obedience. They, they, they do it. And so... 
And this is what the book of Acts is. Right? We're, we're, getting, we're in the book of Acts here. We're going to get to chapter 8. The book of Acts is just the story of these men taking this message, the good news of Jesus Christ, taking it from Jerusalem where they were, into Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Right? They, they start in Jerusalem. That's kind of the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Um, but as persecution arises, the, the Lord uses that persecution to drive them out of Jerusalem into the uttermost parts of the, the earth where he said he was going to send them. Right? So uh, they, they, uh, he, he uses this to, the persecution to accomplish exactly what he told them that they were going to do. Right? Exactly what he told them. But the Lord tends to use persecution and suffering to mobilize his people to his mission. Right? He, did you know that like the parts in the world where Christianity is growing the fastest is the places where it's not comfortable or convenient to be a Christian? Right? The parts of the world where Christianity is growing the fastest are the places where being a Christian might get you killed. Right? The Lord uses these things, uses suffering, persecution to, to move his people and compel his people out. And so all of this brings us, in their persecution, they're driven out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, which brings us to Acts chapter 8. All right, let's read it. I'm going to read the big chunk together, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Starting in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he preached through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, as Jesus said what happened in Acts chapter 1, right? Persecution arises, the disciples are sent out 
Uh, and, and here we've got the Holy Spirit. You remember back in Acts 1, Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. And so this is what's happening here in Philip's life. Right? The Holy Spirit uh, drives him out, tells him to go uh, down out of Jerusalem towards Gaza. And he says, it's into the desert, right? a desert place. Not the place you'd expect for God to be like, you know what, you're going to be my witness to just the masses go to the desert. Seems like an odd place to be sent to, right? I've not been to a lot of deserts, but from what I hear, there's not a lot of people in the desert, right? But Philip, right, he, he obeys, right? He obeys. And lo and behold, I didn't even know I had that phrase in my vernacular. It sounds like my grandma, right? Lo and behold, Philip runs into this Ethiopian eunuch in the desert, right? He's seated in his chariot. And what's significant is he's, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Right, now that's just another level of like, like when, when you and I, we sit at a stoplight and scroll through TikTok videos, right? The, the Ethiopian eunuch, he's like, you know what? I'm going to pull over to the side of the road and unroll my scroll of Isaiah, okay? If you thought texting and driving was dangerous, have you ever tried reading a scroll and driving? So, so Philip, he's, he's here, or not Philip, the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he's here reading the scroll of Isaiah, right, which would have been kind of strange for him to have, but somehow he, he has this scroll, and uh, Philip approaches him. Right? Now, a couple things you need to understand about the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? As we said, he was uh, on his way back from worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem. But there's a couple things that kind of around this that are significant. Uh, and the first is that He's an Ethiopian eunuch, right? If you don't know what a eunuch is, uh, he, as, as part of his duties and sort of the, as a court official for the, the queen, her name was Candace, part of, of what that required for him, would, he would have been made sterile, okay? Uh, unable to procreate, right? And this is, this is the first century. So that's not done laparoscopically, Right? Let him who has ears hear what's going on here. You're like, what does that have to do with anything? I'm going to tell you in just a minute. Okay? So, so he's, a, he's a eunuch. He's been uh, emasculated. Okay? Uh, but then also he, the fact that he's Ethiopian. Right? He's on his way back to Ethiopia from Jerusalem. Um, and so uh, evidently he had some sort of reverence for the God of Israel, some sort of uh, maybe, maybe fear of the God of Israel. But because he was both an Ethiopian and a eunuch, he would not have been able to fully participate in worship at the temple. Right? Because as an Ethiopian, he is what the Bible would call a Gentile. And at this day and time, Gentiles were not permitted to worship in the temple. Right? If you were not an Israelite, you didn't worship. Right? So all of us Gentiles, we would not have been welcome. Right? This man, Ethiopian, Gentile, not welcome to worship. And then on top of that, because he's a eunuch, because he's been emasculated, uh, he is not able to participate in worship because he would have been what the law would have said was unclean because of that. And so he went to Jerusalem to worship, but he can't fully worship because of who he is at that time. Because he, the, the law of first century Israel would not have permitted him to worship God. He would have been excluded from that. And so, 
he's here in this desert. And here shows up Philip. And, and again, the spirit nudges Philip and says, hey, go over and see what's going on here. And so Philip walks up, or actually runs up, I think the text says. He, he runs up to this, this chariot. Right? And he, once he gets closer, he realizes that what this Ethiopian is reading, it sounds familiar. Right? This is the, the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. And so uh, he gets closer and he realizes this eunuch is reading Isaiah, but it's not just any part of Isaiah. Right? It's not the, the part with like beasts and visions and winged creatures and stuff. Right, It's a part about this one who is sent like a lamb to be slaughtered to take away the, the sins and transgressions and iniquities of the world. And so Philip, there next to him, in his sort of spirit-provoked obedience, says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch responds, how can I unless someone guides me? Right? And so he, he invites Philip into his chariot, sits down next to him. Right? He doesn't have to do that thing where you're like, hey, excuse the mess, I've got kids, you know what I'm saying? Because he's a eunuch. Right? So that went, that went like over. Some of you guys got it, some of you didn't. Okay? So he invites Philip up and he sits in the chariot next to him. Right? And then this guy just puts it like right on a T for Philip. Right? This is what he says in verse 34. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? These words that I just, I'm reading from Isaiah about the one who's come to, uh, like a lamb, to be slaughtered, to take away the sin and transgressions of, of the world. About whom am I reading? Or about whom is the prophet talking about? Is he about himself? Is he talking about someone else? Right? You got this opportunity for Philip to share the good news of Jesus set like on a tee. Right? It's, it's right like softball lob over home plate, right? Just knock it out of the park. And I don't know about you, but I've never had that kind of opportunity in sharing the gospel with someone. Right? In fact, if we can be really, really honest here, uh, usually my Maybe I just haven't done it enough, but like I've just never had it put on a tee for me like that. Usually my attempts to engage someone in a spiritual conversation are, are usually me like just sitting there listening and trying to figure out how can I take this conversation that really doesn't have anything to do with spiritual things and sort of maybe turn it towards spiritual things. And it's usually always awkward and clunky and uncomfortable for everyone. Right? I've just never had one this easy put right there for me. Right, but I'm inclined to think that if, I'm, if I ever had this opportunity, like, I, think I, could, I think I could crush it. Right, I think I could. Right, imagine, like, can you imagine going to a, uh, say you're at the grocery store. You see some dude like, in the aisle, he's kind of scrolling through things on his phone, and you walk up to him, and you're like, hey, what are you looking at? First, that's weird. Don't do that, actually. Okay, but, <laughs> but if you did, if you did, say this guy is scrolling through his phone, and you walk up to him, and you're like, hey, what are you looking at there? And he's like, you know, I was just uh, actually just reading the Bible app on my phone about this, uh, reading about this sort of prophetic foreshadowing of the Savior of the world, except I'm having a hard time really understanding what it means. Could you explain it to me? Right? Like, I just, I think, I think I could crush that. And, and this is what happened to Philip. 
And what I, want, what, what I really want you to see in all of this, big picture, is that none of this was by chance. None of this was an accident. None of this was a coincidence. Like God is orchestrating all of this so that this Ethiopian man, this Ethiopian eunuch who was cut off from worship because of who he was, because of what had been done to him, God has orchestrated all of this so that this Ethiopian man could have an encounter with the living God. Right, that's what's happening here. Right, the, the Spirit of God drives Philip into the desert, a place where you normally wouldn't expect to find anybody. And here's this Ethiopian. Right, and it's not just any Ethiopian. It's an Ethiopian that happens to have a scroll of Isaiah, which would have been really hard to come by in that day. And not only does he have a scroll of Isaiah, but he has, he's reading Isaiah, and not just any part of Isaiah, he's reading the part of Isaiah that points to Jesus. I mean, it's all being like laid out here, orchestrated. And so Philip, in obedience, obedience to the Spirit's promptings, goes, and he walks up to him, and he listens, and it's right here for him to explain the good news about Jesus. And that's, that's what he does. Look at verse... 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We don't have the full uh, dialogue of exactly what that conversation was like, right, but we know that Philip shared with this Ethiopian the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. And really, this is what we've been doing here for the last few weeks. Uh, some of you are guests this morning, I know that. Uh, some of you guys have been here for the last few weeks, and we've been going through this series, and I've told you every week, like each week is like a link in a chain. They all tie together. And so really what we've been doing over the last few weeks is just trying to lead up to this moment of response. Like sharing the gospel, sort of big chunk at a time. And so that's just what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to recap where we've been the last few weeks. Right? And just share the good news of Jesus with you. All right? and, the, and the good news of Jesus actually starts with God. God is the creator of the world. He's the uh, authority over everything. Right? Because he's the creator, he holds uh, authority over all of his creation. That means all of his creation, including us, are accountable to him. Right, we're accountable to the creator of the universe. Right, and then, then comes man. Right, God, in his goodness, creates man, creates man in his own image and likeness. Like, like to be a human, is to be a, it's a really special thing to be created in the image of likeness of God. Uh, but, but man, e even though we're created in his image, in his likeness, we are broken. Right, our sin we're created by God, we're created for God, we're created to be with God, but our sin breaks that relationship. And we've all sinned, right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's good standard for our lives. Right? Sometimes when I talk to kids, I'm trying to explain sin to them. I'm like, you know what, let's just do a test of the Ten Commandments here, right? And, and sometimes they have a hard time grasping, like, uh, the first three or four, like, what it means to sin against God. But when you say, like, hey, have you honored or obeyed your parents? They're like, oh, gosh, yes, I guess I have. I'm guilty, right? 
And so I won't do that here this morning. I think most of us have lived long enough to know, like, we've got some real brokenness in our lives, some real sin, some real rebellion against God's good authority, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I got like seasons in my life where that's my story. Like not just a moment, I'm talking like years where it's just like, I look back and I'm like, what was I doing? And I'm, I'm, I'm God, let me live past that. Right, we've all got sin, we've all got brokenness, we've all got shame, every one of us. Everyone in this room. And it separates us from God. Right, and we're all deserving, rightly deserving, of God's wrath and his punishment for rebelling and rejecting his right authority. That's what we deserve. But the good news of Jesus, the good news that Philip shared with this Ethiopian, the good news that I want to share with you this morning is that God in his great love sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that you have not lived, to live the perfect life that I have not lived, to die on the cross and in doing so absorb all of that wrath, all of that punishment, Right? All of that penalty that you and I rightly deserve, Jesus absorbed it all on the cross. So that all who would put their faith in him, believe on his name, that we would be looked at not, uh, not through the lens of our sin and our shame and our brokenness, but through Jesus' perfect life given to us. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes that, that he became sin. Jesus became sin. He took all our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God. Right? So that when we believe on the name of Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus, we trust in Jesus, what happens is there's an exchange. And our perfect record, Jesus takes it on the cross and he gives to us his perfect record in our place. And this is the good news that Philip shared with the Ethiopian. That because of Jesus' perfect life in our place, because of his death on the cross, because of his resurrection that proves his payment was sufficient and that the check cleared, that because of that, you believe that, you put your hope in that, you can be reconciled to God. You don't, you don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. Right? You, can, you can receive the good news of Jesus here in this desert place. And evidently, this is what the Ethiopian did. He believed. He trusted. He heard Philip explain the good news of Jesus, and he said, I want some of that. Right? Because what happens next in verse 36 says, as they were... Going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Right? He wanted to respond to this good news. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So, so God orchestrates these events for this Ethiopian to hear the good news of Jesus, respond to the good news of Jesus. All right, now that's an amazing story for a variety of reasons. Amazing story. But what, what I want to get to this morning 
is not just recounting to you a story from the Old Testament, but I, I just want to, and where does this intersect with your story? Like, where does this story intersect with your story? Because like this Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of the desert, you are not here this morning by accident or coincidence. The creator of the universe doesn't dabble in coincidence. Right? He's, he's orchestrated, like he's, he's orchestrated your whole week. So, gosh, he's orchestrated your whole life so that you might be here in this place this morning. It is not by accident that you're here. It's not by coincidence that you're here. All right, you, maybe you're here because you're here every week. This is just what you do. You're a regular attender here. All right, maybe you're here because someone has been inviting you for a while, and you're just like, I'm going to get them off my back. I'm showing up. Right? Maybe you're here just to appease a friend or a spouse. Right? Maybe you're here for a reason. And it seems like an accident to you. It seems like coincidence to you. And what I'm telling you is it's not. You're here for a reason because that's how the Lord works, man. You're here because the, the creator of the universe has orchestrated this moment for you. You're, you're here because the resurrection demands a response the resurrection demands a response. And so my question to you this morning, however you came in here, whether you're, you're here every week, whether you're just a guest, whether you're here just to appease someone, my question to you is, if the resurrection demands a response, and it does, then what's your response? Because you've got to do something with it. If Jesus walked out of the tomb, and he did, and it changed the course of history forever, then you've got to do something with that. You can't just walk away and say, eh, cool story. I, mean, I guess you can, but, but that is a response. But what I want to call you to is, is a different response. All right, let me give you a few potential responses this morning. All right? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to place your trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. You've never received the grace and mercy and forgiveness that God is extending to you through Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, you're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Then that's your invitation this morning. To place your faith in Jesus who lived a perfect life for you, who died on the cross for you, who rose from the grave to prove his payment was sufficient. So that you can be forgiven. Those seasons of your life, like mine, that are marked by sin and shame, you can be forgiven for all of those if you would receive the good news of Jesus Christ and believe it. And if you're here this morning, you'd like to do that. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come and sing. I'm going to be down front. All you've got to do is come to me and say, hey, I want to know about, about having a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe that weirds you out and you're like, I ain't coming down front in church service, especially in talking to some scrawny, underdressed pastor that I don't know. Right? Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I want to know about how to have a relationship with Jesus. And if the person next to you is like, I don't know what to do with that, or if you're that person and somebody turns to you and you're like, I don't know what to do with that, then you both together come see me after service and would love to talk to you about 
what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. So maybe your response this morning is to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope of eternal life, the promise of eternal life. That's response number one. Here's the second one. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that. Right? You, there's been a moment in your life where you've put your trust in, in Jesus, but, but you've, never, you've never taken that next step of obedience, which is baptism. Okay. Now listen, baptism doesn't save you. I think the Bible's pretty clear that you're saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. But baptism is a really important step of obedience. Okay, because when you are saved, you're not just saved from something. You're not just saved from the penalty of sin. You're not just saved from the punishment that you rightly deserve. You're also saved to something. Right? And one of the things you're saved to is a community of imperfect people like yourself that are striving to follow Jesus together. And the way that you identify with those people is through baptism. And so if you hear this morning, you say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I believe, I've repented, I trust in Jesus, but I've never been baptized. There's your response this morning. Because here's what we're going to do. You may notice, not a place to be baptized here. Okay, uh, In a few weeks, April 30th, we're going to have a baptism Sunday here. We've got a few people lined up already. I would love to line up some more. Okay, So if you're here this morning and you're like, I, that's me. I need to take that step of obedience. That's my response this morning. I'm going to make it really easy for you. In the back of the seat in front of you, there's a card. It says guest card on it. Even if you're a regular, it's okay. Ignore the top. There's a, if you just put your name on that, the best contact information, like don't give us like an email address like you're never going to check. Okay, if you're one of those people that has like 6,000 unread emails and give people like me PTSD, okay? Give us your best contact information and there's a little box on there that just checks, tell me more about getting baptized or being baptized. If you'll do that, you can either hand it to me at the end of service, you can fold it up, drop it in our giving box at the end of service, you can drop it off at the info desk at the end of service. If you'll do that, then myself or someone on our ministry team will be in contact with you uh, to just set up a time for us to talk and, and hopefully get you baptized. That would be your next step of, of obedience and response. Okay? But here's the third one. So we've got salvation, receive. I believe the good news of Jesus. We've got baptism, which is uh, first step of, of obedience. Here's, here's the third one. Maybe you're here and you've done all that. I've trusted in Jesus. I've been baptized. right? Um, listen, preacher's going to preach. You don't get out of here without feeling the good weight of the resurrection. Because it still demands a response. And so if you're like a, like a regular here, right? or you're, maybe you're visiting, but you're like, yes, I'm all in. I believe. I've been baptized. I would still ask you, what's the response for you? Because there's a response for all of us. The resurrection demands a response. And so maybe, maybe it's just being more in tune with the Lord leading you to, to share the good news of Jesus with others. Right? Like, like Philip. The Spirit says, hey, I want you to do this. And Philip's like, all right, I guess I'll do it. You're telling me to. All right, maybe the response for you is just to be more, and more zealous in, in sharing the good news of Jesus with the people that he's placed around you. I'm not saying you got to go stand on the corner of 
Dixie and, and Ring Road with a sign that says, like, repent or go to hell. Like, I'm not saying you got to do that, right? But, but the Lord, in his sovereignty, has put you around people. You live where you live for a reason. You work where you work for a reason. You go to the school that you go to for a reason. Those people need to hear the good news of Jesus. So maybe your response is, man, I need to be more intentional with that. Right? Or, or maybe it's, and maybe there's just some sort of indwelling, besetting sin that you just need to repent of. You need to turn from that. You need to drop that here at the altar. Maybe that's your response this morning. It could be, could be anything. It could be across the board. We've all got sins and struggles and habits and hang-ups, all those things. And maybe this morning is the morning you say, and the tomb is empty, Jesus is, is Lord, and that means like, like I've got to turn this stuff over. I've got to let him lead. Right? Maybe you just need to kind of, maybe a response for you this morning is, if you've just kind of been on the fringes, like, I'm like, I'm kind of involved in the church, but I'm not really involved in the church. Maybe your response this morning is, is just giving yourself more fully and more consistently to this community of people that Jesus died, gave his life for, the church. Right? Maybe your response is, I, d- I need to find my place to serve. Or maybe your response is, I need to actually just formally join this group of people. Right? And I say this all the time. Whenever I talk about joining the church, like I know usually there's some things like, I don't know, they've got some issues. You do too. You're going to fit in great. Okay? I, I can trust you. Or you can trust me. We are far from perfect. You'll be fine. Okay? Or maybe, I mean, we could, we could play this game all day. The resurrection demands a response. And maybe for you it's just, man, Jesus is Lord, but I just haven't given him lordship over as much of my life as I should have. And, and today might be the day that you would say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to be, I want to do what you've called me to. And so, so we're going to have a song of response here in just a minute, and then we're going to have another song of celebration that's going to be amazing. But here's how I would, I would ask, whatever your response is, salvation, baptism, something else altogether. I'm trusting that the same spirit that led Philip into the desert, the same spirit that, that uh, led this Ethiopian to believe the good news of Jesus, the same spirit that led you into this room this morning, will also lead us to respond as he would have us to respond. And I would just plead with you, be obedient to that. Because everything in you is going to be like, I'm going to white knuckle this chair, I ain't moving, I ain't doing nothing. plead with you to respond as the Spirit leads. All right? Let's pray this morning. Father, you are good. And it is not by chance, not by coincidence that that we are here this morning in this place, any of us. Lord, I, I believe that you ordained our days and the times and seasons and periods and boundaries of our dwelling places from before the foundations of the world. And so you have us here this morning for a reason. And I pray that you would 
now in this moment begin to reveal to us what is the appropriate response the empty tomb the resurrection demands a response Lord we've got to do something with it and I pray in this moment we just feel the good weight of that so Father I pray that maybe for those that have never trusted in you I pray that right now in this moment they would or they'd be aware of that you would make them keenly aware of how lost they are but I also pray that you would make, make it so clear to them that the good news of Jesus is right here to be received. That they would come and they would ask or they would turn to a neighbor and they would ask, how do I have this relationship with Jesus? Father, I pray that you would save this morning. And Father, whatever other responses are needed in this room this morning, whether it's baptism or uh, maybe it's the repentance of sin. Maybe it's uh, committing yourselves to this church family. Maybe it's finding a place. I mean, Lord, there could be any number of responses here this morning. I just pray that you would have your way. I just lay down any notion that I am omnipotent, omniscient. I don't know what you want to do here this morning, but I believe you want to do something. So I pray that you would. I pray that you would make us receptive and obedient to that. Whatever obstacles might prevent us from responding as you would have us to respond, whatever fear, whatever anxieties, or would you help us to just push those things to the margins that we might respond as you would have us to respond this morning? We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name.